tired. So tired. Overtired. Hey everybody, you're listening to Overtired. That sounded way more chipper than I feel. Um, you uh, just woke is, me up. This is Brett Zerbstra. <laughs> I am uh, I am back after a week of being ill and and missing my friends here. Uh, speaking of my friends, I am here with Jeff Severns Gunsel. Hi, Jeff. Hello. And Christina Warren. Hey, Christina. Hello, hello. Welcome back, Brett. We're glad to uh, to have you uh, back with us again. I spent six days unable to get like I was alternating between laying in bed and reclining on the couch uh just for the sake of variety but i couldn't i couldn't walk my stomach was i was doubled over in pain it was terrible it was horrifying and i won't go into details but i will never eat bread cheese again (laughs) now now bread cheese because you you you, we're talking about this pre-show do you just mean like like a like 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 craft like what do what do you mean by bread cheese so it's called bread cheese, also known as grilling cheese, and it's like a a one inch by four by four inch block of uh, I don't know exactly what kind of cheese it is, but it's designed to put on like the grill or to put in a saute pan and like 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 heat. halloumi cheese. I have no idea what that means. Um, uh. But you heat it until it gets like a little bit gooey, like a brie consistency, and then you can like season it, like chop it into like strips and put like. Italian seasoning on it and grill it till it gets like a nice char on the outside. Oh, okay. I'm lo- like, it's like I'm looking this up now. Kind of, it's halloumi yeah. cheese. I'm looking this up now. Like, it looks pretty great. I, okay, I've had every variety of cheese, and I'm lactose intolerant. I should add, um, <laughs> which, uh, but but my attacks don't leave me with like six day things. I I will I will shit my guts out, but then it's usually like over with um, as soon as. That's out of my, you know, like system. Yeah. Um, and and I I love cheese, so I will deal with it. But yeah, uh, I, I I could I, deal with that. I have the yeah, opposite problem. Right, right, yeah. And and actually, I, sh- I should I should um uh, clarify. I'm not lactose intolerant. I mean, I I think I am, but I'm I have a milk allergy, which is different. But um, anyway, uh, but um, I've never had bread cheese, but uh. um, it, it's intriguing to me. But I'm also probably not going to go near it because of uh uh you know what it what it did to your body <laughs> it's here I, I, here's I, a here's a 2005 bon appetit article love halloumi you need to know about bread cheese there you go so i'm just bringing halloumi back in the conversation because i have a feeling it, you called yeah. it you're like a goddamn cheese bro yeah i'm a cheese, a cheese I'm, I'm, I'm also yeah. seeing hustulepia uh but, but I'm, I'm sure i'm saying yeah that that's wrong. the same that translates to bread cheese apparently that's yeah. like swedish <laughs> or finnish depending on the fucking website chat gpt save me <laughs> exactly chat gpt <laughs> what is bread cheese <laughs> i have it loaded right now let's see what is bread cheese <sighs> bread cheese also known as Hustalipa is a type of cheese that originated in Finland. It is a semi-hard cheese that is traditionally made from cow's milk, but can also be made from a combination of cow's and goat's milk. The cheese is typically formed into a loaf or a round shape and is often served sliced or grilled. And then it goes on for multiple paragraphs that I'm not going to, I'm not just going to make our, like we, we could have chat GPT write our podcast for us. We could Honestly. just do a whole podcast reading from ChatGPT, but I feel like it would be a bit dry. 
That is not the fun or even effective way to use chat GPT. I, found. <laughs> I, I did just a little bit of that stuff and I was like, this is kind of boring. But then it was the coding was just like, yeah, oh, I, I missed I missed <laughs> last week's conversation. But I, I have a couple I want to I want to like revive it a little bit. Maybe after mental health corner, we can talk just a little bit about my experiences with chat GPT and where I yeah. see it fitting in and and what dangers I see. Uh, do you want me to start? Yes, I want you to start because you uh, are the one who you've, you've been gone. So we need we yeah. need to hear from Brett. So uh, the day the day that I felt better, the day I got some relief from my stomach pain, I immediately uh, felt like I was getting manic. Um, I went from like stuck stuck on the couch to like, oh my god, I can catch up on everything in a day. And uh, uh, so I I did not take my uh adhd meds um i got exercise i took a shower i ate all, three meals and and uh went to bed on time and i slept fine that night i woke up the next morning still feeling manic um but i have slept every night since then uh not as much as i usually do my body like left to its own devices wants nine and a half hours of sleep um, and I've been getting more like seven, but I am sleeping. Um, so I would say I'm in a hypomanic phase right now. And I kind of, if I can maintain my like self-care levels at this point, um, I can, I can live with this for as long as it lasts. Uh, I, I, I rather enjoy it. I've, I've written so much code and kept up with work and kept up with my like, personal relationships and been able to settle down and watch Arrowverse shows every night. Um, <laughs> it's, it's working out. I, I can work with this. Nice. Jeff. Uh, I'm podcasting for the first time through progressive lenses, <laughs> which is awesome. I thought I'd hate it. I do kind of hate it actually, but I don't hate, I don't hate it. Like, Oh my God, I have to wear progressive lenses. It's like now my reading glasses are always on me. And it's kind of awesome <laughs> and, and related to that. I just had a birthday and uh, oh yeah, happy birthday. <clears throat> Thank yes, you. Yes, Exactly. Happy birthday. Thank you. And uh, I like, I don't, I don't like birthdays. Like I like to celebrate them or anything, but I like anything that kind of marks a beginning or, or suggests a clean slate, even if it's sort of a false promise. <laughs> um, and uh and I'm also just feel like every time I've been in a seven year, 27, 37, 47, I always felt like I might as well just round up at this point. And yeah. so the time between 47 and 50, I have a feeling is going to feel like the time between 37 and 40, which is like, I'm just 50 that whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, I, I do that. I, I round up by five, 50. no matter what age I am. Like right, right now right. I'm 45. And if someone asks me, I have to think hard to realize I'm only 44. <laughs> yeah see 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 i round down by 10 so round down by 10 yep <laughs> yeah yep. that's one way to do it for sure um but yeah i don't know like every once in a while uh the way facebook plays out on your birthday can be nice other times i'm like i don't buy it you know but this totally. is like but uh I, this time around was just nice i got some nice messages and stuff so anyway and i'm just kind of i don't know i'm like weirdly not physically but like existentially i'm comfortable in my years <laughs> physically i'm not at all comfortable in my years um so it was a 
was a, a big year of changes for me in terms of um, medication, which is an ongoing sort of collaboration. Uh, well, it is a collaboration, but I was going to say calibration. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, I was and I got to spend uh, my birthday with my dad and uh, my parents were divorced when I was two and my dad lives in a different state. And I, this is only the third or fourth time I've ever been with him on my birthday, which was kind of fun, kind of unusual. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah, it's good, especially because I like my parents. And <laughs> Lucky which you. Is, which is fantastic. I, I I love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. And then from like, speaking of my parents, from a pure um, joy standpoint. Um, so my dad and my stepmom are, are very much uh, like I am like them. I they my stepmom is an artist. She makes artists. She makes art out of junk. Um, my dad is a total hobbyist, like electronics and a workshop and all this stuff. So whenever I visit them, it feels just like how life ought to feel. But it's also there's a real taste for the absurd. And so my dad gave a paintball to my boys to shoot into the ravine off the deck. And my stepmom, who used to be an elementary school teacher, was like I was inside with her. She's like, oh, I could put my turkey suit on and I could uh-huh. go out there and they could shoot me. <laughs> and like exactly what she did. She put a turkey suit on. She had a gobbler that she was shaking. And she ran around while my sons shot her. And I was just like, you know what? <laughs> this is great. I love absurdity so much. Absurdity equals joy. <laughs> That's my check-in. I forgot to uh I forgot to mention uh I had a psych appointment this week, um, uh, Monday, and uh, I was told that my provider is leaving the clinic. Mm. Um, and so the the woman I was seeing before her when I was still at the same clinic um, had come back and I was like, oh, well, I'll just go back to this woman who, you know, saved my ass. She was the one who gave me Vyvanse after years of not being allowed to medicate my ADHD. So but she's leaving at the same time. Everyone's oh, leaving. Man. And the one psychiatrist they have left in the practice is not taking new new clients. Oh, man. Um, so hopefully I will be able to. My my psychiatrist is moving north to Edina, uh, which is farther than I would want to drive yeah. for appointments. <laughs> Just why but, don't you say how far for people that aren't in Minnesota? <laughs> I, think, I think it's about two hours. Yeah, it's about two hours. Um, and uh, uh, but she would do telehealth. Uh, nice. So, so if that works out, and I can get into her uh, new client list after she moves, um, I'll be okay. If not, I'm fucked. Like there is nowhere left to go in Winona, and especially nowhere that would that understands that treating ADHD prevents uh, addictive behavior. Um, like that is somehow, despite you know, plenty of studies to back that up. It is not common wisdom among medical providers, um, and I could easily lose my ADHD meds again, which would be catastrophic. Well, I, we so. can talk about this offline, but I have somebody for you who I've never had to see in person. She's actually over by the South Dakota border, um, okay. and she's my medication manager. So okay. if you if you get stuck or if psychology today doesn't help or anything, I yeah. know this person would understand exactly what you're describing. Cool. All right. That's all. I, Christina. Your turn. Yeah, no, I'm well, I'm I um like cross my fingers for you um on on that front, Brett, because like that's uh beyond like stressful, I I know. It's so but scary. 
but yeah, I, okay. I'm hopeful that like with the teledoc stuff, hopefully like telemedicine is in a much different place than it was three years ago, which is like the good thing. So yeah. hopefully that will continue, but, but also hopefully like, uh, it's great that you have a uh, Jeff, um, to, to maybe give you, um, some names too, but yeah. So, um, thinking up, thinking good thoughts for you there. Um, as for me, so, um, I'm okay. Uh, I'll, I'll just be, be honest. Um, right before we recorded this, uh, Microsoft, uh, who, uh, owns, uh, GitHub, um, announced that they're doing 10,000, uh, layoffs, um, uh, between now and, and the end of March. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, uh, I'm, my job is safe, uh, and, and my colleagues at GitHub are safe, but this is the sort of thing that, that does weigh in on my mental health. Um, sure. and it, it, it's, uh, and, and I think it weighs in on anybody's mental health, but I think it's, it's one of those things where because I'm such a workaholic and because so much of my identity is tied up to my job and because of the past, uh, frankly, I'm not going to say PTSD, but, but PTSD like experiences that I had working in, in the, the media industry, which I know Jeff can relate to, um, seeing things like what's been happening in in the tech industry uh you know over the last few months but it, you know it is is hard but then seeing it affect potentially affect you know people that that I've worked with and and know and care about like and and I, and I don't know who's safe and who's not yet right like which is like honestly like the one of the the worst parts um and I'm not even impacted as far as I know knock on wood but it, it's hard um and so these are those things where you know like I um, am very fortunate that I now work in an industry that has better severance and that has better policies and that has uh, better job demand than than what I used to do. But it, it's still really, really difficult. And, and it's one of those things that's challenging for me. Um, like it, it just it, it's hard. So it, it does impact my mental health when when things like this happen. Like I can't just turn it off. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. it, it, I, I, I have like a very real reaction to it so um so that that happened right before we uh started recording um other than that um you know it's been pretty it's been pretty good i'm actually um going out of town with my mom um we leave for vegas tomorrow morning adele yeah for adele and i'm really really excited about this because this trip has been in the works since you know like november december of of um of, of 2021 um, and then the the concert was supposed to be in um, April of, of last year or, or March of last year, rather. Uh, and, and Adele um, postponed her um, her concert series. Um, and um, so we're going um, our concert is on Saturday. We're going to go see the the Beatles um, Cirque du Soleil show on uh, on, on Friday. Uh, we get in awesome. tomorrow. Um, my mom has never been to Vegas before. And, uh, I'm super, super excited to like show her Vegas. We're staying at the Venetian, which, um, is one of my favorite, um, like, uh, hotels, uh, strip things because they, every, every room is a suite. So you get, you know, I think it's a better experience. And, and I think she'll, um, like the, the layout of, you know, kind of the, the Italian, um, like the, you know, uh, theme of, of the hotel, um, you know, I'm not, I, I can't take her to Rome, but I can take her to fake, you know, Vegas, Rome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, it's, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, 
I'm, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm really, I feel just like really happy that I can do that for her. And, and she's really, really excited. So that's awesome. That, that definitely helps like my mental health a lot to, you know, bring other people joy. So yeah. That's great. Nice. Love it. I want to, I want to drudge chat GPT back up. Drudge suggests that chat GPT is not at the surface already. <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm fascinated with chat GPT. I know you guys already talked about it a bit. Um, I've had uh, consulting clients that have come to me with like excited that chat GPT wrote them say an Apple script to do something and they show it to me and they're like, what do you think? And it has been clearly wrong. Like, I mean, I can look at it and immediately say, this does not, this will not do what you think it's going to do. Um, but before we started recording, I decided to just try um, some prompts for various Apple script tasks and it nailed every one. So I don't, I think if you give it the right queries, you can get good code. Um, like when I ask it to write Ruby methods for me, uh, it gives me honestly the best, the, the most accepted answers, um, like, uh, stack overflow worthy answers for doing basic things, uh, bubble sorting and sorting arrays by length and things like that, that can be done in, in one line and it, and it nails it. It does a really good job and it's, it's become a great little tool that, prevents me from having to go to Stack Overflow to answer basic questions. But you can't do it if you don't understand the language to begin with. Yeah, because it's very, I would say it's there's a 50 50 chance. Yeah, it, there's a 50 50 chance it gives you code that looks good and doesn't work at all or 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 has, you know, faults that will bite you in the end. Um, overall, though, still, I'm impressed. Um, I also have been using it, uh, for content development, um, because I can give it like a very specific prompt, like, uh, write a Terraform script to spin up an Oracle compute instance and describe how to define the variables necessary and where to find them. And it will take that prompt and basically write out a tutorial for me that I can then, I mean, it takes some editing. Right. And it gets a, it gets some stuff wrong. But as a prompt to like get going on an article, um, like sometimes tr- ask it what the top three reasons to use Markdown are. And it will write you an article that honestly, I it's the exact same thing I would have <laughs> said. And, and it even sounds like my voice. It's weird. It will honestly your 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 stuff I'm sure has been used in the model right like like I, I like you know what I mean like that that that's the the, the truth is that because um, they're you know scraping a bunch of um, resources and and I would I'm sure that that your things you've written are definitely part of the corpus sorry but go on ask, Jeff ask it to do it in Dickensian style and you'll get a different <laughs> answer <laughs> I find that using chat. GPT for code purposes is helping to sort of helping me get closer to a definition of a kind of um, programmatic literacy that I've always been kind of seeking and wanting to have for myself and describe for others. Just like you can't sit down and code, 
but when presented with code, you can basically basically understand what's happening or, or just on the most simple, simple level, you are able to create in text a multi-step algorithm that can be translated into code, right? Yeah. Um, and what I've found so kind of interesting and fun in chat GPT is like, it almost, it quite frequently gives me the wrong thing. And if I, if I give it the error, it always yeah. goes, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to have you go this way and now yeah. I'm going to have you go that it, way, which is such refine, a bizarre. Like, you can keep adding to your query and like, it's a chat, right? And you can yep. say, well, that won't do this. Or, yep. or why does it do this? And it will continue to uh, refine its response. And I love that it gives you a description. Anytime it writes a yep. method for me, it will explain to me afterwards why it used the you know method calls that it used, why it used the functions it used, um, and what each one does, which is more than you will often get from a Stack Overflow answer. And I've found that when you ask it to write a complicated function or a script, it will comment it mm -hmm. um, and comment it pretty well. I mean, but the other thing that I find really useful is I have it write me something and then I just go line by line and say, what does this do? What does this do? If they haven't already explained it, right? And then the other thing I do that helps me a lot just in learning is I say, what's another way to do this? Yeah. Right? Like, or like I did one early on where I was like, show me how to, you know, scrape the title of an article in a web page in node now show me in python now show me in ruby right and it was like you can just kind of look at how those things um are different across languages it's just to me it's like an incredible teaching tool but like you said you can't just take it and assume that what you've got is correct <laughs> you definitely yeah. have to you have to fact check it but you can fact check it with chat gpt for the most part which is crazy <laughs> crazy i love when it's like oh sorry about that no you're right you know that's like right that's yeah, the yeah, least, yeah that's the least thing i did not expect that for it to oh be yeah like, oh yeah no you're totally right um you know it's, it's let me, yeah exactly it's like uh let me find a way of explaining myself you know yeah, which which might bad. still be wrong might still be wrong right, right. But, but but let me let me find a way of of, of explaining myself and, and correcting myself on this yeah totally. um si simon willison uh who, who's uh um uh um you know one of the creators of Django, great guy and and his blog is, is so good um simon net. we've mentioned um his stuff before but yeah except the last time i mentioned him he was graptitude and i called him simon williamson <laughs> sorry simon anyway go ahead <laughs> but but he he he's been um doing like uh you know his kind of like he's been uh using various gpt3 3.5 things um for months now uh, with both Copilot and with Codex and, and with ChatGPT and, and using the API and other stuff and doing these sorts of, uh, I guess, kind of experiments. And and it's been documenting. This is what I love about him so much is that he documents every single thing that yeah. he does and what he learns. Um, his his website is just so freaking good. Um, but yeah, that that's one of the things that some of his examples have said over the months as, as I've been, because I've been obsessed. With, I'm so glad that you two are obsessed with this too, because I've been obsessed with this stuff. Yeah. for like months now and um i i feel like now because because uh as we talked about last week Je jeff the interface is what makes chat gpt different it's like the the stuff was already out there but the interface has as i think just opened it up to a whole new audience and so um the discussion is now it's not just me screaming on twitter or on my youtube show or in like private conversations it's um like everybody's having able to have these things but Simon's, yeah. you know, tests have kind of shown what you what you're talking about, how, you know, you can like argue with it and it'll, you know, kind of correct itself 
yeah. and, and give you results. But I think you point out a good thing, uh, um, Brett. And honestly, this is, to me, at least a little bit encouraging right now, is that, yeah, you do still need to have a certain understanding of what you're what you're looking for to be able to get the best results out of it. Like if you're just going to be relying on any of its output for anything, like for some stuff that are some basic, you know, like, well, I mean, and even then, I mean, I th- there could be errors, but if, if you're talking about some like very basic concrete kind of like factual things or, or some very basic like an mathematical stuff, like I think that the results you get from it uh, could definitely um, be kind of probably taken without doing fact checking. But for anything else, yeah, um, it really does help to have a, an understanding of what you're doing. Um, that's why, you know, GitHub, that's why we call it Copilot and, and not like, you know, it, it's like your, your pair programmer, like, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it's sitting you know, behind, you know, sitting in the cockpit with you. It's not writing your code for you. And that's how I always try to explain it to people. I'm like, look, this isn't doing it for you. You need to have an understanding of what code you're doing. And the more you do, the better it will be. And the same is true for ChatGPT, right? Like the more you know, the better the results mm-hmm. you can get because the prompts you can give it are better. And the more you can like kind of argue or disregard, you know, if it's going to give you an Apple script that is not correct versus, and that honestly makes sense too. I, I don't know like the core, because you know, the, the corpus for a lot of the code stuff is obviously GitHub. And although there is a lot of Apple script on GitHub, there's way more Ruby code and there's way, yeah. more, way more like, like bash code and other mm. things. And so, that's going to play a role in what types of coding it can do and learn from, right? Like the data sets all kind of go into that. So it's, you know, the the more you use it, um, at least with, with Copilot, the better it gets. Um, but, I, you know, the, the better these models will get over time, these things will get better. But yeah, the, it's, to me, it's, it's, I kind of appreciate that you have to know a little bit about what you're doing because that makes... I don't know. A it makes you work a little bit more for the results, which kind of makes it feel more like a puzzle. And and B, you know, like I think that it it can hopefully prevent against some of the abuses uh, sure. that could potentially come from it. Like I could see eventually a day coming where code becomes irrelevant because we can just tell a computer what we want to accomplish as as complex as we want. And it writes all the code. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. like the, the, the job of coder yeah. uh, could eventually be irrelevant. I did want to mention like one of the great features of warp, the warp terminal mm-hmm. um, is their AI. Uh, like you can just write out like, how do I colorize a man yes. page? And it will give you the command to do it. Um, I term just added open AI. Oh, did it? If you, open oh, it the did? Com- if you open the composer, you can write out, like what you want to accomplish and hit the engage AI button. And it will give you like four or five different ways to accomplish whatever prompt you gave it Hmm. um, built right into the terminal. And there's no keyboard shortcut, which I find annoying. You have to like, you can pop open the composer with a keyboard shortcut. You can type out your, your query, but then you have to grab your mouse and uh, click the the open AI button, but uh, but is this it, in a beta it, or or what what is this thing? Because I haven't seen. Oh, what this. am I running? Um, I am on build. Yeah, beta nine. Okay, 3. cool. 5. Oh, that's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it is. Um, also, uh, there are multiple menu bar Chat GPT implementations for Mac. 
Um, the one I'm using, they're all the same. Like they're all yeah. just, you know, WebKit browsers into absolutely uh, into a menu bar open AI yeah. website. But um, yeah. the one I'm using right now, I love, except it has a hard coded uh, shortcut for command shift G, which is find backwards when you're in an editor. So I'll be like right. searching. Oh, right. like oh G, yeah, that's command terrible. G hit command shifty and then the chat window pops up uh so i'm i might try to find one that at least has like a customizable what is the one you're using what what is the one you're using um they're all just called chat gpt (laughs) yeah i'm using one in um chrome that just just for the purpose of downloading markdown the one i'm using is from vince lwt um chat gpt mac it's called but they're like i've seen four or five different implementations of this uh yeah just little swift oh yeah yeah that... yeah yeah his his is the number one on uh first github result i got he said uh, yeah and stars. i found it i found it via that menu bar jeff pointed out uh, a site i can't remember i'll we should put it I'm in show I'm notes. taking notes for show notes, but I'm taking them on an index card. So. <laughs> which which I, I can't. You know I what? I have this. not been able to type while we're talking. I cannot do this podcast and write show notes. I cannot so do funny. it, but I can write on this index card. I love it. It's a, it's a big index card, not just a little one. No, see, uh, the, the, I, I I appreciate that. I I but I love that you lo- that you know that about yourself because <laughs> they are two different um um like modalities, and I yes. can type and talk at the same time. Um, I would actually probably have a harder time writing and talking at the same time. Interesting. Well, yeah, I don't know if you same. know this about me, but I cannot type without looking at the keyboard. So oh, that just adds oh. another layer of sort of isolation. No. Okay. No, no, but that actually makes sense because, but, but you could probably, I don't know. Can you write without looking down? I mean, because... I can write. Yeah. I can kind of keep an eye on it. You know what I mean? Okay. While I'm writing. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas there's, there's no I, way I could write without looking it, well, at it. But, but like years with a reporter's notebook in my hand, trying to right. get every kind of detail no, just right. makes it automatic. It, it does. Except what, so what's funny about it is that for me uh, and my reporter's notebook has always been my phone because uh, I, I yeah. literally started like in like the smartphone era. And so um, because when I graduated from college, like literally it was like iPhone was already out. Wow, so yeah. for me, if it wasn't a recorder, I've always taken notes on my phone. Yes. So okay, it, it, it. so so you see what I'm saying? Yep. So it, it's a similar sort of thing. But yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a touch typist as is Brett. So. Yeah. Did you guys ever use Paranote? What's that? No. It was a it was a Mac app. I don't remember if they ever made an iOS version, but you it would record what you were oh, listening to. Yeah, yeah. I remember this. Note, any note you typed would get a timestamp. Right. And Shut you could your just dirty click mouth. On your, you could click on your note and you could hear yep. what was happening when you I remember wrote the this note. now. I so remember your this now. Didn't have to, your notes didn't have to explain everything. They just had to be like, uh, here's a point where we learned about blah 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 yeah you just click it and get the actual audio from what you were experiencing at the time it was really good i remember this now i don't think i ever used it hardcore i use i used to use evernote ironically yeah um Uh for those purposes because yeah yeah, because i had like a one of those pens that that integrated with with evernote that could like oh right yeah i remember that like the live scribe pen i think they were called yeah and um but honestly a lot of times for me and it because I the way that I would I would take notes on calls like a I would try to record the phone calls which 
you know, once they got rid of the headphone jack, especially got complicated. I would love to talk yeah. to you about whatever your recording setup is now, um, uh, Jeff, because Skype. I'm always, oh, yeah, well, I, that's <laughs> primarily what I use. I would use primarily use Skype and call recorder. Yeah. Um, and now I guess it would be Zoom, but, but Skype worked right. well because you could have, you could actually dial a real phone number. Yep. Um, and, and obviously, you know, some of the rules are dependent on what state you're in to turn it determinant of it, totally know, like, yeah you know, totally like, had to uh, make sure it was a one one party uh, recording state, one, one yeah. party or, or or letting people know but a lot of times what i would do is like if there were calls that i would be on you know like i'm just such a fast typer and because i can like listen and kind of type at the same time i would basically just almost transcribe like the call while i would yeah. be on the call yeah, um, yeah, yeah you know what i mean like yep. that was sort of my kind of I can thing. I can basically do that and did that it's just it was it was a mess because it, as long as I was on a phone call it didn't matter that I was looking at my keyboard right but totally. if I'm on a Zoom call or something like that I have to give attention somehow and then that's so, just forget about it so Evernote got acquired yep um I think we can all agree Evernote Evernote is is shit these days oh yeah um, I I stopped paying 6 or 7 years ago yeah yeah I I, yeah. I left even longer ago than that. Like I was very gung ho on Evernote when it first. You were came like out, you but... were one of the very. I, I I was an Evernote user I think because of you because they had a Mac app like beta thing or something mm -hmm. and, and you we got wrote us. About it on we wrote about it too. All right? you wrote about it and you got us into it and so you were the reason that I ever used it to begin with. You were like one of their biggest evangelists for a long time. Yeah, it was and great then, in the moment that it was great in the moment and, that it was the only thing that did that. The, the lock in became apparent the first yep. time you wanted to move your notes and you realized yep. that there was no viable way to extract your information from Gavin. Yep. That's when I left. And then I watched it just bloat and bloat over. Yeah. Time. For, for me, when I should have left, and I still paid, and this was the thing, and I paid because out of this bullshit sense of loyalty to this corporation that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars, but I remembered when they were smaller and I was like, it's only 50, 50 bucks a year or whatever, I will pay this, I don't really use it that much, but I've got my notes and this is fine, I'll pay my $50 a year or whatever you know, my, my, my fee is, um, but when I probably, the writing was on the wall, like when they, remember when they did the recipes app? Yeah, no. Yeah, they did like a fucking recipes app, Evernote like recipes or some shit. And I was like, okay. I was like, and they were selling socks and they were doing all this stupid shit. And I was like, <laughs> okay, Phil, whatever his last name was, I was like, you are absolutely, yeah, I was like, you are absolutely, what are you doing? Right. Cause I got like the Moleskin integration, I got the LiveScribe integration. Right. That was okay. Then when they start, then, then they acquired and ruined Skitch. And I was yeah. like, I, oh, I, I, can almost, I can, I, I can then, almost, and then stop supporting it. Like yes. Skitch is shit now. Yeah. So it's been shit for years, but like, but, but, but almost as soon as they acquired it, they ruined it. Right. And, yeah. and so then, yeah, I was like, okay, that's fine. But then they raised their prices to the point where for me, and I am a price insensitive user. And when I'm like, okay, actually this is now going to make me go through the hassle of canceling. Like, yeah. but that was, that was six or seven years ago, but yeah, they've been acquired. By somebody bending bending spoons bought them and immediately <laughs> laid off is. laid off eighteen percent of their staff, <sighs> um, so saying they were trying to compensate for overexpansion and inefficiency, both of which I would agree were mm -hmm. problems. So it'll be interesting to see if 
if they can salvage no Evernote at this point. No. I mean, the, Evernote has a lot of users. Yeah, I know. Uh, but still, I just got. I had to. Happier. I just had to fix uh, a CNC machine, and the software and instructions came via an Evernote note. God. <laughs> See, well, no, so it, it, which 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 is ridiculous. Yeah, you know, no, because at this point now, what do people use? They use Notion, right? And and some other things, right. and like, and and I have my own issues with Notion. Like, I actually, I don't think that's actually great software, but I know a lot of people love it. Um, I actually don't think it is, but whatever. But like, um, no, they're at best. Let's just be honest. They will be able to be a very small, you know, but sustainable, hopefully sustainable business. But even though I, I don't enjoy it as much, like OneNote is free. And then I have Office 365 that I that I pay for. Plus, you know, I get it free at work or whatever. But I, I pay for the, the family plan because honestly, that's like the best hundred bucks I think you can spend, um, you know, for like six people yeah. or whatever to get Office and, and um, uh, OneDrive access. But like OneNote's, OneNote's pretty great. Yeah, it is 99% of you cases. Honestly, OneNote's pretty fucking great. And they don't put limitations on how many devices you can have connected to it, which that was the shit that Evernote started when they were like, oh, if you don't pay us this amount of money, you can only have one device connected. And I'm like, okay, you locked all my notes in. Yeah. There were two things about Evernote that I loved when I was using it. One was um, handwriting transcription. Yes. Uh, So I could take, like, I, like Jeff, I prefer index cards to a moleskin. I actually have it's shaped like a moleskin, but it's a an accordion folder for index oh, cards. Oh, that's and cool. And that's that works better with my brain than having this very linear page by page kind of note system. Uh, number two was the Web Clipper. It was the yeah. first app. The that Web Clipper. Web was... Clipper. Yep. Yours was great. Yeah, loved it, it. And it was spectacular. Uh, Devin Think has added a Web Clipper. Uh, they They've actually had one used, for a while. Yeah. They actually use my software. To, oh, really? Funny. Yeah. Uh, they use a version of, of Marky the Markdownifier uh, that they ran locally, and it you could clip markdown copies of any web page or any selection on a web page. Um, and I. I tried to talk Fletcher into incorporating web clipping into MD Ultra. Um, I even did all the coding. I made it work. It was happening, uh, but he thought it was bloat. So that's when I made Gather, uh, which you can oh. run as uh, as an Apple shortcut and clip any web page straight to MD Ultra. It, like it has, there are command line flags that will take whatever it clips and automatically turn it into an NV Ultra note. Um, so love that feature. This is all inspired by Evernote's web clipper though. Uh, yeah. Because honestly, like, especially when it comes to like stack overflow stuff, mm-hmm. when I find the answer to a problem that I've run into multiple times, I just want to clip it into my own knowledge base. Absolutely. Uh, and make it, make it way more searchable. So, um, yeah, the web clipper lives on. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The, the, I love the, the, that. I was going to say the web flipper was one of their great things. And like Microsoft obviously like uh, has one too. And a lot of other people do as well. And like people built things into Obsidian and, uh, and other stuff. Right. Um, but they were the first to really, to my knowledge anyway, I think they were the first ones to really um, at yeah. least the first bigger ones to implement it. There might've been some smaller people. I don't want to like make a universal statement. Somebody will, somebody will tell us in the discord or, or on Twitter, be like, no, actually this company had a web flipper first. Well, I don't remember it. Um, but yeah, no, the Web Clipper was was massive. And I remember the handwriting recognition, that was a big deal too. And that was a thing that I remember, yeah, I really enjoyed that because you could take a photo of your handwriting uh-huh. and it would do it. Like there were yeah, some things- Yeah, I would that- take, when I ran a company, 
Um, I would take all client notes on index cards. And then when I got back to the office, I would just snap photos with my phone and I would have digitized notes in Evernote ready to go. Uh, it was it was very handy. Um, I don't know what exists currently because I, I don't I gave up on trying to handwrite notes. I, my yeah, handwriting same. has only gotten worse over time. The, the best thing <laughs> that I found. Practice, so but. the best thing I found is um, I think it's it's, it's, it's no two. It's N-O-T-U. I think it is. But they make um, let me find it. Uh, handwriting recognition because they license their tech um, to um other people um it might be noto um because they have an ios app but then they do also license their um yeah noto.inc so they um is is this them maybe it's not um there's um a, a service that basically does like i think in my from my perspective the very best handwriting recognition and they've licensed their um technology to a number of other companies including various iOS apps, but also even, I think, like um, some um, of the other like e-ink um, tablet things and whatnot. Nice. And so if you have an iPad and you use an Apple Pencil, it is like fantastic. Uh, it might nice. be Nobo. So that, that, that's the best one I found. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't, I don't uh, do um, handwritten notes anymore no well because my handwriting is is just complete and an utter like garbage we should have a contest to see whose handwriting is worse it's probably yours but uh because if i well then i only say this because because if i if i if i try it's my script that's the company's name my script but they uh, and and there's there's an app that you can get in the app store that works really well um and uh but, but they they um license their technology to other people but um yeah, uh, if I try, mine can be decent, but like, it hurts to write. I just, I don't, yeah, I haven't same. written. Same, my hands hurt almost so immediately. Mine always been like that. Surely there's a tool, or will be a tool that you train it in your handwriting, and then it can just go from there. All right, we should fit in a sponsor break. Mm, um, I've got a, I've got a segue. I've got a segue. But first, I want to say that um, pair note. Uh, no update in six years, but yeah, forty dollars no. forty dollars in the app store. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they're willing to take that money, knowing that they I, warned I you. I used it. I used it before <laughs> the app store existed. So yeah, yeah. I, I was uh, gonna say. I remember was, the app store. Oh, Skitch is still in the freaking app store, and it's still like an app that like is recommended. And I'm like, this app is garbage and hasn't been used in years. And you should really use um what is it uh um clean uh, shot clean X. shot yes clean shot because that's that's the replacement and that's better yeah, on every level totally they just um, need better. the app store just needs a tab for graveyard so it's yeah. like you can still see what was there like, the problem like the on problem my is, site if you go to if you go to the yes. project section yeah on my site, i love yeah. that you do that I, there's like I a retired too. section at the bottom the problem the problem is though jeff if, if, if we if the app store if the mac app store had an area called like graveyard it would be almost the entire app store that wasn't anything that's that was true. like an iOS app. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, truth. yeah, right, 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 exactly. We, we, at, at some point, because uh, we need to get our sponsor break, I'm gonna let you do your segue. But at some point, we should have, especially since we do our gratitude segments, we should just have a whole like segment talking about like the uh, the utter failure that has been the Mac App Store. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Someone, fine. Someone someone suggested that we do a gratitude of like uh, like an RIP gratitude apps that. Apps that have oh, died. I love this. Yeah. Like my, my 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 submission was uh, Delicious Library. Um, but oh, we could yeah. talk about uh the ha- apps that were amazing in their heyday but have since passed. 
Yeah. Oh, I, oh yeah. I love that. Okay, that's... I, I mean, I don't want to wait until Halloween, but maybe, like, uh, <laughs> we, we, we do it for Halloween and then also do it on Halloween. I think that would be great. But yeah. there's also All this right. element of, like, with Pear Note, which is such a great concept, surely that's that exists in some piece of software somewhere. Yeah. It's, like, a wonderful feature. Um, but I don't... I can't think of what piece of software that is, and I feel like the three of us would know it. Like, it's not it, a hard concept to, like to add a timestamp at the time you hit the keyboard like it's no it's pretty basic so it's gotta there has to be a something now that does yeah it. interesting um okay so here's the thing i i realized something it's, it's just a dirty little secret i'm not even sure if it's exactly true and i'll tell you why which is that i'm still paying for evernote through the app store through oh, some no. fucking work icloud account that i cannot somehow access anymore um the last time i i went to try to figure out what it was i figured out it was that but i couldn't cancel it and i can't we don't have to get into that mystery but it's my segue into talking about rocket money which is formerly known as Truebill. it's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions see what i was doing there it monitors your spending and helps you lower your bills all in one place now the last time i talked about rocket money i talked about just the uh, how like <laughs> how easy it was for me to actually like wrap my mind around how much i was spending on various services that i'm really not even using and that was a large amount and i actually used it to um cut down on that amount i have not yet used their function that allows you to empower them to cancel something. Uh, the concierge function. The yeah. concierge function. It, and it I'm thinking, but here's the question. Do you think it'll work for an Apple store? Um, like for no. Evernote through the app store uh, because it can't actually identify it except for the amount, right? Yeah. So I, I, I'm kind I of, that. I'm going to say probably not because I think that they'd need to have access to your iCloud account. That's but, the big yeah, problem. Even 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 the apps you subscribe to through the App Store can't cancel your subscription. You have to go to your subscriptions page to cancel the subscription. Um, so I could see that being very problematic for a service like Truebill. But it can at least find it as like a, one of your like bills, and you can like at oh, least for sure. see. You know what yes. I mean? It's, which is great. You can highlight, and then you can figure out in your case. Oh, hey, this is a an iCloud account I use for something else that I just completely forgot about. Yeah. And and I can go ahead and, and cancel it, which is fantastic. In our the way we budget, uh, we each have like discretionary money and I have to file that goddamn thing to my discretionary money every month. It's just like four ninety nine or something. Right. Anyway, here's 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 the challenge I'm putting to Rocket Money next. So I have a fellowship through the University of Southern California. It's, called the Civic Media Fellowship. It's with their Annenberg Innovation Lab and comes with that a college email or a university email, right? Which definitely means discounts. And when I first got the fellowship, um, when I first came on board as a fellow there, I I did a whole ton of that um, and then felt like I'd pretty much exhausted uh, <laughs> exhausted my my discounts, but I've decided using Rocket Money, I'm going bit by bit through every single monthly charge, and and then going and seeing if they have an education discount, and seeing if I can apply that discount. So stay tuned. But that's how I'm using Rocket Money next. 
Um, and I'm, I'm very excited. It's amazing to have a university email. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I really feel like I haven't used it nearly to the extent that I should have so far. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's why I have been loving rocket money. It can just really like visualize for me and really multiple different views, like how much money I'm spending every month. And like, I get kind of like old man mad when I look at it. I'm just like, ah, they're just they're robbing me for every dollar I've got. You know, like it used to be like, man, Netflix is great. A lot cheaper than cable used to be. And now it's Netflix and Hulu and Disney and everything else. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of crazy. Peacock. Yeah. 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 So anyhow, I, I've, I am so grateful to, to rocket money for helping me kind of track all of that in a way that I never have before. It's a good kind of new year's partner. Um, so stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash overtired. That's rocketmoney.com slash overtired. Wait, what is it? That is rocketmoney.com slash overtired. Three, three times. That's all times. You got, you're up. We're also, we're also doing a podcast swap with the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast. Um, Do you follow Apple News? Do you listen to podcasts? There's a podcast all about Apple News that we'd like you to check out. It's the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast. When they say daily, they mean it, mostly. Monday through Friday, TDO hits you with 20 minutes of talk on the most interesting Apple stories going. Since 2014, the Daily Observations has been talking Apple News of the Day on the day. That's the announcement of the Apple Watch, the free U2 album nobody wanted, the announcement of Apple TV+, Plus, the transition to Apple Silicon, and so much more. Ripped from the virtual pages of MacObserver.com, host Ken Ray brings in TMO staffers and other tech types for quick, informative, and entertaining talks centered around the stories of the day. If you follow Apple News and you listen to podcasts, put this one in your ear. The Mac Observer's Daily Observations Podcast, online at MacObserver.com or wherever you get podcasts. I always second guess myself because I know there's a difference between Apple Silicon and silicone breast implants, and I never remember whether it's silicone or silicon. Oh, I, have I this think I got too. it right, though. Congratulations. <laughs> so... I don't do you do you guys have time for one more topic and a gratitude or do you have yes. a heart out? I've got time. Do you okay. have time, Jeff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because the, the, this is good. I think speaking of Apple News, right? I know what you're going to get into. Well, kind of. Yeah. So early this week, I suddenly got an error that uh, Tweetbot on my Mac could not log in to Twitter. And uh, I tried a few times. Uh, and then went to check like the status, did some searches on Twitter um, and found out that without warning, um, Elon's Twitter had uh, curtailed access for a huge swath of third party Twitter applications. Um, and at first it was like, maybe there's maybe there's a bug. Maybe maybe it's just expected downtime with the amount of layoffs they've had. Uh, but, uh, then on their, uh, API pages, they were all listed as suspended and, uh, it has become very evident that, uh, whether Elon himself or, uh, a group of people under Elon, I'm going to go with Elon himself 
have decided that uh, third-party Twitter clients are not profitable mm -hmm. and have cut out their access. And I think it is a horrible idea, especially after all of the hoops that developers have had like Tweetbot and Twitterific have had to jump through Ugh, to keep using Twitter um, and all the concessions they've had to make. Yep. The fact of the matter is you don't see ads when you're using Tweetbot. And that is a major selling point for using Tweetbot or Twitterific or, you know, tweet that tweet deck or whatever. Although TweetDeck is owned by Twitter now, I think. Yeah, so it is. It, it's, yeah. It works. Yeah. yeah, it does. It, TweetDeck's been owned by Twitter for 12 or 13 years. Yeah. Um, so, but, uh, it's also basically kind of been abandoned. Um, I mean, it, it works, but, but there's been a big question as to like, is anybody who works on it still yeah. around? But yeah. Yeah. So this is very disconcerting to me. I, I have loaded for the sake of, you know, still being able to use Twitter, um, without the, the PWA that Christina uses. Mm -hmm. um, I have loaded the Twitter app on my Mac and it is awful. I don't yep. mind Twitter on the iPhone. Me either. Um, it actually, it's really nice because things like polls uh, don't show up in TweetBot, but they do show up in the Twitter app. So on my phone, I tend to use the Twitter app and it's, it's functional. It's good. On my Mac, the Twitter app sucks and TweetBot rules. Twitter drools. And it is Ooh. Uh, like Tweetbot has like all of the keyboard navigation I want, has all of the uh, blocking and filtering that I want. And none of that exists in the Twitter app on Mac. And this is a sad state of affairs. Yeah. Well, what's really disappointing to me is like, you know, Twitterific, especially because like let's Tweetbot came out after the great um, API purge uh, the first yeah. time. Right. So it, it was it was it was actually kind of a response to, you know, the death of, of well, I guess uh, Tweety ascending from being like Tweety into being the official client and then some other things. But like Twitterific, which was one of the very first Twitter clients, yeah. invented the word tweet, was the first one to use like a blue bird as the icon. Right. Like basically literally like helped, you know, invent a lot of the, the things that we know as as Twitter and, and were very instrumental in the very, very early days of the platform and being a part of it like have, they've all as as you mentioned brett they've had to jump through all these hoops over the years right like where they've had to like follow api guidelines and like there was a limit on basically like how many you know like uh, tokens they could submit which for a long time meant that like it it, it curbed their growth because there was mm -hmm. like a set limit on like how many keys you were going to get because if, you know uh this is not the first time twitter has had um concerns about third-party apps this started back in the Dick Costello days. And um, and like I remember this because I wrote about this at the time and I covered this very deeply, uh, talking to people with the Twitter, but especially talking to the third party developers. Plus, you know, I was there, like, like uh, like you were right. Like we we lived this shit because we were, you know, heavy users. But like they they have gone through all these gyrations. Last year, Twitter, or maybe it was 18 months ago, in the last two years anyway, Twitter revamped its API and actually was really trying to kind of come around and trying to say, hey, we want people to build on our API again and, and trying to make some things better for third-party clients. They still were not going out of the way to encourage third-party clients because that has not been like in the company's you know, like, you know, MO for more than a decade, but they were at least trying to like add API endpoints and stuff to make the clients better. 
And then, you know, and, and Elon says, oh, we're going to, you know, have the API be more open until he realizes, oh, well, people don't see ads. Well, first of all, you could have added ads to the API. Like that's that's number one. If you really, if this was really a concern, you could have added that and, and made a requirement that if you want to have, you know, a token ID, if you want to have access, auth access, you have to have ads. And people who don't want ads would just have to fucking suck it up. And frankly, I think that'd be a very fair concession. <laughs> Right. frankly like i you know what i mean like if your if your business is based on someone else's platform suck it up but what's yeah, shitty yeah. is that the the twitter dev account which you know came back to life after they fired the entire staff that ran that so that it, it's a skeleton crew of people tweeted that uh twitter is enforcing its long-standing api rules that may result in some apps not working which then has community notes on it where people are like actually the the API rules, you know, you you haven't told anybody what it is, and and so um, it's just um, complete bullshit for them. Like these are company, like these are applications that have followed every API guideline. They haven't yeah. broken any API rules, and so if you want to change the terms, I mean, fair enough. But like, don't pretend like this is something that they've been doing behind the scenes that, that somehow, oh, they, they were getting away with something. It's like, no, they were literally following all the terms that were laid out in your, that are still laid out in your own API docs. And so um, uh, the, the Icon Factory folks have, you know, written about this and, it, it, you know, of course it happened just short of the 16 year anniversary of Twitterific and, you know, but look, it's, it's a shame because I, I think that it, for all intents and purposes, the third-party apps are probably dead. And how much? How much do you think if Twitter were to come up with a pricing structure where uh, apps that wanted to use its API paid like a certain number of pennies per which user they, of which their app, which they used app, to do, which they used to do? How much do you think it would be necessary to make up for whatever they think they're losing on advertising? I don't think it's even so much about advertising because the thing is, the fact of the matter is the the people who use the third-party apps, it's such a small microcosm of users, um, at least who use the consumer apps. I'm not talking about things like Sprout and and other like uh, CRM like like enterprise apps. And Sprout, I yeah. should I should end instantly say they charge like more than Adobe per per seat for stuff. Like mm. so these these social you know like these big apps that and, and they have paid you know more money at least historically. I know they've paid for Firehose access and have paid decent like big fees to Twitter, right? But I, I don't think the money would be meaningful because it, it's power users and it's very vocal users, but it's a very small percentage. And I, I know this from talking to past Twitter um, uh, employees. I think what it is, the reason they don't want the third-party apps is because they want to control the end-to-end -end experience, which I understand. What I don't get is that it, if you're pissed off about like what you, you see is like losing advertisements and whatnot, just make that an endpoint. Like just make, yeah. just serve the no. ads in the fucking client and make that a yeah, requirement what kills me what kills me is twitter rose above all of its compatriots at the time it came out it rose above because it allowed third-party developers oh yeah third-party tools it it offered an api where yeah. something like jaiku did not yes um and they that is how twitter became yes. the the microblogging platform it is um, it is and to and and this like when they did their last round of like um making really strict api rules like it was the same same concern on my on my part was your api made you 
Like yeah. you would not oh, yeah. be where you are now. In, 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 in all honesty, I'm going to say, I don't think this is as bad as that kind because people should have already kind of been prepared to a certain extent. Right. Like I think when that happened, like in 2011, I think it was, or 2012, like that to me was a true slap in the face because that was genuinely like, like genuinely like spitting in the face of your power yeah. users and your developers. Now they haven't even been issuing like it, 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 there's been a problem on Android for years where there haven't been, you know, because typically I think you were limited with like 250K or 500K um, user accounts that you could get. And so a lot of apps were capped at, 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 a, at a user limit. And that that remained um, over the years. Um, uh, Twitterific and, and Tweetbot and a couple of others were kind of grandfathered into higher amounts, but it certainly wasn't like multiples of that by, you know, like, you know, you got to think, okay, maybe they have, you know, 5 million accounts. And, I, and I'm just guessing here. I have no idea. It might have been less than that. But you know, um, it, certainly it's not like you're talking about like tens of millions of people. Um, the one that actually did have tens of millions of people was TweetDeck, which is why they bought it. Um, and, um, and, but to me, yeah, it's, it's a slap in the face. It just, it just goes against everything that he, you know, when he came in and we knew he was a liar, but they like, claimed, oh, the API is going to be this and that. And I want it to be an open protocol. Well, you you can't have both ways. You either have it as an open protocol yeah, right. or you have it as like a pretty locked down thing. But again, to my point, I'm like, not that they have people who can really add things to the API because they've laid everyone off, but like add, they could have done this years ago, like add the the advertisements, add the promoted tweet stuff into the fucking API. Like, I, I don't understand how that's difficult. Like there is, there's an article in, I, I believe the current New Yorker. Um, I don't remember who wrote it, but I will find a link. Um, and it, it interviews people who have been in the room with Elon when he does like his quote unquote code reviews. Yeah. Um, and who were responsible for trying to explain the tech stack to Elon and like exactly how those meetings went. Yeah. And it is, I mean, we, it's nothing, there's nothing surprising about it. Like we all know what a travesty this has been. Uh, for for anyone who appreciates tech in general, it's Elon awful. is a scourge. Um, but it but it is a a sordid tale, um, and and worth a read. Yeah. Um, the one that I read it on um was uh the Verge who did it with New York yeah, Magazine. Maybe the Verge that's what you're thinking. Excer- excerpted the same article. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're talking about the, uh, New York Magazine. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put the I'll put the link in the um, show notes. The one thing I've said, and I've said this before over the years, what's to me, I think Twitter's biggest failure as a business has been the fact that they never turned TweetDeck into an enterprise CRM SaaS mm-hmm. like customer service mm-hmm. product, and they could have. They could have taken TweetDeck. They could have invested money in it. Yeah, like it was uh, ripe for that. Absolutely, it was, and and people would have paid it, and people would still pay it. Like again, um, Sprout charges more than Adobe. And, um, so there's real money in, in that and people pay it every big agency, you know, uh, news publications, all kinds of things like they pay that money and they pay it like happily. They could have, they could have literally been making billions and billions of dollars if they had done that. And and to me, that is like the biggest failure I think of Twitter, like as a company is that they never turned TweetDeck or anything else into like an enterprise CRM product. And if they'd done that, like, again, I don't know if that would have saved any of our, um, you know, like consumer clients. Um, maybe they could have put maybe they would have had to put limitations on what you could have done with some of the consumer clients or whatnot. But 
I, I don't think that the company would be in the position that it's in right now if they did that. And and I, I look back and I know it's easy to say hindsight's twenty twenty, but I remember even thinking this more than a decade ago. It's like, why are you letting Hootsuite and all these other people, you know, get into this? Why are you not building this yourself? Like, what what are you doing? Because they literally could have built like Brett and I. We both we both work in enterprise. Um, software to a, to a certain degree, like you know how much money you can make from that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just unreal to me that they like left that on the table, and and that's not anything you are ever going to be able to get back because the longer the time goes on, the more the service erodes, the more people move away from it, the less valuable it becomes. So even if you did come out with a product like that, like okay, nobody cares anyway. It's yeah, depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I remember there was a time too where like the there was a service that was built off of TweetDeck and they were charging the New York Times, Washington Post, and other major newspapers and news organizations tons of money to help give them a sort of intelligence that was rooted initially in using TweetDeck. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another was one of those yep. enterprise in a way enterprise opportunities like Oh, 100%. Uh, and they were they were charging so much that I could not even with a decent budget in my project could not afford to use it. No, totally. Right. Like I, I, I remember that. And, and cause we used to build our own um, stuff uh, at Mashable. Like we had a, um, uh, an AI team and we had like a data science team and nice. all kinds <laughs> of stuff where we were trying to, um, I guess, basically do like predictive stuff to see like what the social lift would be on a story. And, and like what we were also trying to do predictive stuff, like what stories are going to go viral, like kind of in the ether. And we're analyzing a lot of that stuff. And, um, yeah, like they could have made a ton of money off of that. Um, but it's also, it's just to your point, Brett, like this is literally a company that was built on the backs of third parties, like yeah. from, like from the get go. And mm-hmm. it's been disappointing that every single management regime from, from Jack Dorsey to Ed Williams to, to, um, you know, a Dick Costello to Jack Dorsey again, to Elon Musk has basically just like rejected like yeah. the, the community that made it. Yeah, very frustrating. Yeah. All right. Should we? Uh, should we do some gratitude? Sheila, I want to go yes. last. I'll go okay. last. I'm going to take a minute, but I'll go last. I'm ready if I should. Yes, please go. go. It, Jeff. Um, I am choosing. It's it's a service and a web app called Muckrock. Um, yeah. It's uh, yes. by the by the people who I mean not originally, but it's by the people who bring you Document Cloud, which if you've ever seen a a document so embedded good. into a news story you're reading, it probably comes from Document Cloud, and that's just the least of should. what it does. Or it should not scribbed, no <laughs> scribed. How do you say it? I don't know how you say that one. Scribd. It's scribd. Um, that's that how I've always the, said it. That is the but I think it's worst. scribd. I think you're right. Actually, I I've always said scribd. I I I thought it was scribd for 15 years. Scribd. That'd I think be you're like exactly saying right. flick r flick r. I go. Scribd, I, I use flick r for my flick r. Scribd. <laughs> Fair enough. Scribd. I think even to this day feels like an interstitial on a like tennis shoe hunting website. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, no. And it is I awful did just say tennis shoe. Well, tennis shoe. No, because what'll happen is they'll like give you all these like like you're you're reading and then all of a sudden it's like. If you want to continue reading this, you're going to have yes, to pay. Exactly. Exactly. So Muckrock is is for people who are interested in doing freedom of information work. Um, and you have your own account and you can track, you can actually like generate, first of all, FOIA requests, which is wonderful. And then you can That's what I've used track for. them and they actually do some of the back and forth um, between agencies. And so one of the things I do most with Muckrock is if 
there's someone who I, I think might be interesting to see an FBI file on and they're dead. Um, and they have some newspaper stories about them. These are the, these are the things that have to be true for the FBI to grant you the file of a dead person. Like they have to be the, the establishment memory has to have, uh, has to have given them a place. Um, and so I will just do a ton of these FBI file requests and then, uh, just check back in once a week. And if the FBI writes back with questions, I can, I can see that because there's a little alert. Um, and the cool thing is once you're done, uh, once you get a completed request, it's yours alone for a little while, but then it just becomes public. Um, and so there aren't a lot of like, you know, people kind of hoarding, um, information there. It's really a place for sharing. And so, and I actually recently got an email from a researcher who, um, was using a file I'd requested only because it was someone that I had admired. And I was, I was curious to see what was there and to add it to the record. And this woman was working on a documentary of her Her name was Barbara Deming, really amazing feminist, pacifist, badass, um, and she's like, you're the file's been a huge help to me. And so you kind of you're instantly part of a community. And um, and they also just have a good site that just shows you what documents are there and what you might want to look at. They write their own posts and articles. And then there are what are called assignments. So if somebody is trying to, you know, gather uh information around a topic like police union contracts or something, you can sign up to help um to help, you know, say I'll do five or six municipalities or whatever. Um and and you become part of that project. And so it's just a, it's a lovely, it's a lovely thing. It's now attached as a service to document cloud, which is just a great way to host your documents and to, to, to kind of collaboratively um, highlight things in the document, uh, look through the documents, whatever, make comments, all that stuff's muckrock. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. Like if you have like a little bit of a, of a journalist bone in you, but you've never been a journalist. It's a really fun place to go and, and help with the work of journalism. And they've, they have introduced add-ons, uh, which are automations that you can incorporate into GitHub actions for scraping, so cool. what? scraping document cloud using, uh, muckrock. Uh, API. Oh, that's, that's awesome. That's Here, fantastic. Me, I'll, I'll drop this, uh, news article. Yeah, please do. Too. Yeah, so it's just a great. I mean, I I get a lot done thanks to uh, it because it's funny. It, it, doing FOIA work is a lot of like template work, mm-hmm. basically, um, and they just kind of solve that problem. And for me, I know like I have text expand expander snippets for. Um, public records requests in the various municipalities in which I have projects, and like without those, that's just a barrier. It's just yeah. a barrier. No, um, it, and it is, so, and and I'm sure yeah. like 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 like. Um, like me, you've had to teach a bunch of people how to do FOIA requests. Totally. Yeah. And I remember what it was like before Muckrock and what it was like for me and then having to teach people. And then after like Muckrock, it it just, it makes it so much better to, to teach people and, and and really uh, cuts down the barrier. And, and it's important, I think for so many researchers, not just obviously journalists, but for so many researchers and even just look, this is, this is like, you know, Freedom of Information Act. It's open for everyone, right? Like, right. use it. Like, we, we need more people digging into stuff. And, right. um, it, and like, it shouldn't be this thing that has this barrier where you feel like you have to know the right language and, and knock on the right door and, and know the right yep. things to get access to. Because, like, no, like, everybody's supposed to have access to this stuff. Like, that's why it exists. Yes. And then when you have a place where stuff already 
is posted there, you you cut down on a problem that really is an issue. I can say this as a person that works with public records all the time is like public records um, people, the people who are handling public records in an agency get such a huge amount of bullshit requests mm -hmm. that are not thought through, that are not actually like, they're like the worst kind of fishing, uh, yep. <laughs> you know, like uh, exercise. And I don't want to say that I side with people who work in those agencies who say these should not be allowed or whatever, but I do think there's a, a real like etiquette to doing this work. And the first one is just to make sure, do everything you can to make sure the information you're looking for is not already out there. And then, and then you will just, you'll have such a better experience trying to get what isn't out there when you know that it's not out there and, and they know that you've done that work. So anyway, Muckrock puts so much up. I've, I've used requests from Muckrock that I was about to make myself. So, you know, it's just great. It's great. Love it. All right. Um, all right. So my pick is pirate weather. Um, are either of you familiar with Ooh. pirate weather? No, no, I, you've dropped it into the show notes. I've been reviewing it. Over the last it's fantastic. seconds, it it's fantastic. Amazing. Okay, so uh, you guys remember Dark, Dark Sky, right? Yep, of course. Okay. All right, Rest so in peace, exactly. RIP. So that is now Body part is of, still warm. So that is now part of the weather app, um, and the API was shut down January first. Uh, now, if you are building a, a Mac app or an iOS app, uh, honestly, um, I don't think you need to use Pirate Weather. You should use the Apple, like uh, what is it, like like Weather Cloud or whatever the Weather Kit or whatever they call it which gives you, if you're an Apple developer, like 500,000 um, calls a, a month um, and it has very reasonable pricing. That's honestly what you should do. You should refactor your app and use that. But if you were using the Dark Sky API, which existed for a really, really long time and you're using it for, you know, like some of your um, uh, homebrew projects, you know, like you had it like integrated into, you know, um, like maybe a menu bar thing or you had it into... Uh, something with your home assistant set up when the API broke, you know, all that stuff broke too, or when the API died, all that stuff broke too. Well, um, Alexander Ray, he, uh, when he was working on his PhD, he became familiar with the various NOAA data stuff and he created um, pirate weather to be a drop-in replacement for the dark sky API. And 1.0 was released in December and basically works exactly, you know, you can, drop it in and basically, you know, just change your endpoint and, just you're, good your endpoint go. and you're good to go. Um, usage is, is capped awesome. at 20,000 calls a month um, every 15 minutes. Um, and, and he can change that depending on his AWS bill. Um, <laughs> because he's paying his AWS bill out of pocket <laughs> to yep. provide this free service. That is which, understandable. Which is, which is fantastic. Uh, Meriwether.net, uh, I think is, is the website where he like has like a shows like what um, it looks like. He even has like a, a web, you know, interface that shows, um, what, um, uh, like the old kind of, he's recreated the dark sky stuff. The reason it's called pirate weather is pretty cute. Uh, it's using the, the, this HRR, like this high refresh, something or another, um, uh, uh way, way to get the, the data. And he thought that that sounded like R, like a pirate. Arr. So that's why it's called pirate weather. Um, but, um, He's on GitHub sponsors if you want to help him out. I'm um I, I'm sponsoring him. Once I found out about this uh last week, I was like, this is really, really great. Um yeah. and uh I don't know, I think that um because again, this is kind of one of those examples similar to Muckrock where this is public data. What Dark Sky did, they didn't the the data the Dark Sky gave like wasn't anything new. What they did was they were able to take that data and format it 
in a way that was really actionable and beautiful, right? Like that was the real magic. And composite yes. multiple sources. Exactly. And and that was the real beauty of it, right? But but it's like, but the 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 data is is um this is one of the good things that's happened, like kind of with like government is is out there. It's just it's really hard to parse and um and, and difficult to kind of deal with. And and Dark Sky made that easy and by kind of reverse engineering and rewriting, you know, making this drop in, like you can take advantage of that same stuff. And so you can use it with Home Assistant or or Magic Mirror or you know, if you had a menu bar app that was polling the weather, you know, and, and showing you stuff, um, you just drop in that endpoint. So uh, Pirate Weather is my pick. Um, Alexander, I think that what he did with this is just fantastic. Also, the fact that he's funding this out of his own pocket is really great. It's also all on GitHub. So in, in theory, you could build this yourself, you know, if you wanted to to self-host something. Um, but because uh, he's he's doing it um he's got um you know a bunch of aws lambda things so he's got some serverless stuff going on because um the, the noaa data set is on aws which is cool um uh, nice but um yeah i just i i love this i think that like it's really nice to see people uh do things like this and keep little small projects up and running and um big big fan nice. awesome all right i'm picking from my own library this week um i have been since this hypomanic phase started i have been a little bit obsessed with search link which i maintain is the most useful tool i've ever created um especially like if you're doing show notes for a podcast like as we record show notes i will just type out text like um uh, like New York Magazine Twitter article and hit a keyboard shortcut and it will create the link for me uh, to the to the endpoint. And um, I have added in the last what day is it Wednesday right now as we record um, in the last four days or so, I have added so many new features. You can create a YouTube embed Ooh. like Create the iframe just by typing bang YTE and then giving it some search oh, terms. Oh, I yeah. say, sir. It will wow. output the iframe embed from YouTube. Um, it has built-in version checking. It when you run it once a day, it will go to GitHub and check for the latest release. And if you're outdated in the report that it gives you in an HTML comment underneath your results. It will say you're running this version. This version is available. And then you can just you can type the word update, select it and run the service and it will update itself in the process. Awesome. That's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Yes. And yes. I, and it, it so <laughs> I mean, basically, just to describe it, it is designed so that people who write in Markdown, whether for blog or for show notes or for I mean, I guess those are the two things, right? Um, uh, it allows you to add hyperlinks to your writing without ever switching to a browser. You can just type out anything that would be a, anything you type out a search query, like you're, you're all web professionals. You all know how to construct a Google query that will give you the right result. This basically just runs that query, takes the first result and inserts it into your writing without having to switch to a browser and it can search 
iTunes. It can search Last FM. It can search the the movie database. It can search the internet movie database. It can search uh, Wikipedia. It can search DuckDuckGo and like basically any kind of search you want to run uh, with a very simple syntax. You can just write the text, highlight it, and and turn it into a Markdown link and never leave your editor. And I have so much fun with this and. I'm I'm really proud of where it's at right now. Uh, like it, because it runs in a macOS service, it has to be one long script. So the more complicated it got, it was like it had to be a couple thousand lines of code in a single file, and it it became unmanageable. So uh, this week I broke it out into uh, kind of a more of a a, a Ruby happy uh like bin and lib directories and every every type of method called sorted out into different files nice and then in the main file where it has the require statements to include those external files i have a compile script that will go through and actually grab that external file and inject it into the the final script so i can work in 20 different files but when I get ready to prepare the release, it compiles it all into a single file document, opens up my 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 services in Automator. I can just hit paste. It copies it to the clipboard. I just hit paste and save and export a code signed service from it. Um, so a big part of this week was automating the release process. Yes. Um, wow. which won't which won't affect anyone but me, but uh it should make for more consistent releases. And yeah. Yeah. Have I've you documented fun with it? Have you documented that anywhere? Because I've run into that issue. Like, and I, I, I have like things documented in various places, but for certain stuff that I want to do, like even for personal things, I find you need to like sign shit. And, yeah. and the process is, I always have to wind up like looking up what I'm doing. So if you document so what you've done anywhere, that would be useful. It is. It is documented to some extent in the build notes file that I use. How's it runs okay. the like it's my make file for the uh, for the repository and the build notes are included. Okay. Um, and and you can see the compile script that it runs and everything. Okay. Um, I I I could actually make a whole blog post out of this process, but uh, basically, so to to make a release, I run how's it minus r, which for me is alias as bld. So I run build prepare, and that opens up my services, and I export the the code signed versions, and then I run build stage, which just basically does a git commit for release preparation, and then build finalize, which creates the GitHub release and uploads a zip file of the services to the release and updates the blog pages for the project and change log and and so it's it's three commands instead of my usual just build deploy uh but it's a three-step process but it's all automated at this point that's great i'm very proud of it yeah no should you should be. be and this is fantastic yeah any if you write for the web if you blog or if you regularly create like show notes for a podcast um definitely check it out it will save you so much time yeah this is you you wrote something like this for me 
when I was at Mashable, it was a TextMate yeah. um, uh, uh, tool. And yeah, this uh, actually came from it came from the the uh, instant web search from the the Blogsmith bundle. Yep, which became part of the Markdown service tools uh, as an instant web search. And this was basically the evolution of that. And this has replaced all of those previous incarnations. I love it. I'm so excited about this. This is that because that was one of the the most useful things I had for years at Mashable was because um, you wrote like a custom version of that. Because when I stopped using um, Blogsmith, I, I paid you to do that yeah. for me, and that was like some and of the best can, money I ever did. Like I ever you spent. Can add, there's a YAML based config file that you can add all all the custom searches you want to. So you can have like a site search for whatever blog you're writing for. And you can include additional keywords if you like I have one that's BTP and it searches brettterpshire.com, but includes the keywords projects. So I can just like I can write type, I can write BTP gather and it will link to the uh, project page for gather uh, with one click. That's awesome. So, yes, this is this is all of that 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 I made you before and and then some. I love it. I'm so excited. Pretty great. All right. Well, I have to go to a meeting. Not me. <laughs> yeah, sonar, I, I... sonar sonar code is throwing warnings on pull requests, and I have to figure out why. Well, get on it. Then get sonar, some sleep. Sonar sonar cloud, not sonar code. Sonar cloud. It's well, what we use for static analysis. It's it it's fickle. It's fickle. Good luck with that. Hey, thanks. Good thing I'm hypomanic and can totally deal with this right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've got I've got to write a script um and uh and go in and, and shoot a video. So good luck. Thank you. Yeah. All right, you get some sleep, everybody. Yes. Get some sleep. Get some sleep. The system is going down low.